They're demanding more from our planet. They're demanding more from our behaviours. They're demanding that we treat people and the planet better. They're demanding healthier options. Um, they're demanding not to have to pay for the consequences of, the, of their forefathers. And mm. I think that's pretty good. Welcome to the Power Hour, the weekly podcast that will motivate you to pursue your passion and to achieve success. I'm Adrienne Herbert, international speaker, fitness coach, Adidas Global Ambassador and Entrepreneur. Each week, I'll be talking to today's leading coaches, creatives, change makers, and innovators to find out their daily habits, morning routines, and rules to live by. The Power Hour is all about taking just one hour each day to help you improve your life and unlock your full potential. Whether you want to build a business, write a book, run a marathon, or maybe you're just looking for a spark of inspiration, the Power Hour is going to help you get there faster. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today's guest is an elite performance coach, columnist and wellness business consultant. He has worked in the wellness industry for over 15 years and he specialises in high level health and lifestyle management. He has worked with some of the world's biggest brands, including Esquire, Nike, Forbes, Twitter, Soho House and Four Season Hotels. So welcome to the studio. Harry Jameson. Thank you very much. He's what an the, intro. He's in the building. What an intro. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Uh, we've recently connected. We actually met um, on a photo shoot. And then last week, we buddied up for a training run on one of the rainiest days of the year. Well, you dragged me. You're very complimentary <laughs> and kind. What the listeners should understand is I tried to throw the towel in 10K into a 15K run which I hate myself for to this day, and you dragged me around the last five and made me do sprint intervals. So for that, I'll be eternally grateful. It's very much a case of never regretting the workout that you do rather than the one you didn't do. So you coached me. So probably some of those attributes you read about me should have been read about you. Oh, thank you. It's a mutual love. But yeah, that day was, uh, I felt like even in the morning, we both kind of wanted to get out of it. We were like, oh, it's raining. Oh, it's really raining. Oh, it's really cold. And then we were like, let's just, let's just do the thing. We said we we're going to yeah. do the thing. Let's do it. Well, you did say, look, we're out here and we're already wet and we're yeah. already cold. Yeah. Which is very true. I think um, I've run a couple of marathons before. I've run three marathons before. And as a slightly younger, maybe more egotistical man, I had a you, ca you shall not quit mentality, which I'm slowly getting back again. I think I lost it a tiny bit, a little bit too much comfort in my mm, life, maybe. Okay, I think, well, I think I'm sure a lot of people can, uh, can relate to that. I think comfort is something that we as humans crave and doing things that are uncomfortable. Um, you know, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. And when you've done it as well for a while, I think you kind of go, okay, I've done that now. I've earned yeah. my stripes. So I could see how, how that could happen. So, Harry, I mentioned that you've worked as a PT. You've worked on mm. Harley Street, actually, alongside the medical community to develop your lifestyle and performance modules so you have witnessed the changes the shifts the trends the fads of the fitness industry over the last decade so looking back how do you think that it has changed for better and for worse um that's a very good question and when you say 15 years like that it really does sort of bring home the truth you know i graduated from i did a sports science and psychology degree up in liverpool in 2004 and uh, combined honors so i'd always wanted to look at mental and cognitive performance alongside physical performance and I moved back down to London where I'm from and luckily got a great job um, 
from a at the time really really top PT called John De Norris who was training Noel Gallagher and um, lots of pop stars at the time. He was working with um, Simon Fuller's agency, Nineteen Management. So they had loads of people coming off of Pop Idol at the time. This is how long ago it was. So he was a really was sort of an original celebrity trainer who. I probably owe a lot to who took me under his wing and guided me, but it was always in the high-end performance space. So we were on Harley Street. We had a lot of physios and concierge companies and, and medical companies. So if you think on the spectrum from right to left, a trainer over one side and a doctor over the other side, my career aspiration really was to sort of bridge that gap. Now we call it wellness. It's the wellness industry. But before you had fitness and you had medicine, and people who knew about fitness didn't know anything about health. And people who knew about illness didn't know anything about fitness and nutrition. And I've always thought and often preach a sort of preventative approach to health. And if doctors, you'd be amazed how, how little a GP knows about nutrition and fitness. And in that time, you'd be amazed how little a PT knew about mental and physical and emotional, mental and emotional well-being and gut health and disease. So... The good thing that has come out of that is that those industries have started talking to each other more. Um, we have a much better understanding of the root causes of lots of illnesses, both mental and physical. Hmm. Unfortunately, we wait for things to break. We wait for us to become depressed alcoholics before we try and give ourselves counselling and, and potentially drugs to get us mentally better. Hmm. I, I use better in inverted commas. Or we wait. We were used to have a bad back. I had a bad back for 10 years and then finally one of my discs went and then I'd have it operated on rather than doing prehab exercises on a daily basis to help us and prevent that happening in the first place. So it's quite a long-winded way of me saying that I have seen the evolution of the wellness industry from being medical or fitness and actually combining into into a whole multitude of different offerings. Mm. So I think that now your average trainer um, is a lot more knowledgeable. I think people get lambasted a lot for it being too easy to become a PT. But now with the wealth of information that's out there, we, you and I both know lots of really good PTs. Mm. And all of the ones who are really good know a lot about movement. They have a, a solid nutritional background, not necessarily master's degree. They know about they have a, a sprinkling of, of mindfulness and um, maybe a meditative practice or a goal-setting practice or pre-performance routines. They know about mobility. They know about injury prevention um, rather than hypertrophy, right, and fat burn. Yeah. That's what people used to know, right? How do I put muscle on or how do I burn fat? But I will almost contradict myself by saying a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing mm -hmm. and a lot of people will maybe uh, think that they know more than they do. So the other side of the coin then potentially could be that as we are, yeah, sharing all this information and gathering more knowledge, which is great, it's like where are those individuals who are, I guess, going more specific? Yeah, I think the, one of the bad things is, and I don't really want to sort of, every time we come on a show like this or a panel like this, everyone turns around and goes, social media is full of people who don't know what they're talking about, giving information. It's kind of a bit of an old story, but it's true you have a position where people of people in positions of power now are people with followings so that models are nutritionists or um, ex-sportsmen, whilst they have a great wealth of experience on a, on a football or a rugby pitch, are not necessarily qualified physios. So you have a disparity. The, 
some of the best practitioners I know from my time working in the medical district have zero visibility on social media. They don't write a column for Glamour magazine and they don't really care about that as, as, as a public persona. They're incredibly knowledgeable mm. and I've been lucky to sur surround myself with lots of people far more intelligent than myself, which has been probably the main source of education I've had outside of sitting in a classroom. Mm. But not um, everyone can access those people. Not everybody can. Not everybody can. And maybe it's been one of the reasons why I've been managed to become fairly successful in my space was because I had to, I sort of deliberately surrounded myself with super knowledgeable people. I would always, I like to be the least intelligent person in the room and listen. Um, I don't mind adding my two cents worth when people ask for it and, and uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes maybe a bit too much, but I, all, I always love to to listen to people who know more about anything than I do. Mm. I love to sit down and watch somebody cook who's an amazing cook, you know, or uh, that's why I love sports so much. Watching people who are right at the top of their game or listening mm. to people who are right at the top of their game is is sort of one of life's great pleasures for me, I mm. think. Yeah, being a lifelong learner apparently is is the key for high performance, so you're, you're practising what you preach. I, um, there's a quote in my... I, I, I gave a keynote at um, Balance Festival a couple of years ago and I can't remember who said it. It was, a, it was an ancient Roman. I remember his name. And he says, as long as you live, keep learning how to live. And I think that's a really strong quote because that's one of the great evolutions, actually, of our industries. It's actually people have continued to start to Im implement daily behaviours that they know are making them better. Mm. We're so much more health conscious than we ever used to be. It just look at the food menu we 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 have, we've just come from Shoreditch House the food menu in Shoreditch House mm, and, that's and changed it's evolved yeah you, you struggle to get something which inverted commas is not healthy you know if or you, being sold as healthy or sold described as, as sold healthy, as healthy or... right they own they they own dirty burger but people don't eat them in there people mm. eat vegan gluten-free salads <laughs> grains um, nuts because, because and, and actually the reason why big business has those offerings it's because they are responding to the need of the of their client base mm. people want people will pay a massive premium for health mm. almost less is more now so a good shift not just in the wellness industry but in our society as a whole um the generation below me and the generation below that are combating against the two generations above us who smoked and drank heavily and didn't talk about their problems and stayed in unhappy marriages and stayed in jobs that they hated mm. um, they don't do that and mm. they don't do that because they know it's good for them to not do that so I think the probably I forget what generation's what right but the one mm -hmm. the millennials and the ones below them Gen Z is it yep. they they're, they're reactive to they're that. demanding more they're demanding yeah. more they're demanding more from our planet they're demanding more from our behaviours they're demanding that we treat people and the planet better they're demanding healthier options um, they're demanding not to have to pay for the consequences of the of their forefathers and mm -hmm. i think that's pretty good sometimes comes across a little bit um sanctimonious is maybe <laughs> the right word but i think it's impressive i think you've got lots of strong role models in that generation from a health and wellness perspective and i think that's very good mm, i agree i think it's very empowering as well for people to kind of say actually this is something that i can impact is something i can make decisions around my daily behaviors around my diet choices around my actions and actually impact 
my the, my future. And speaking about future, uh, I delivered a talk which was the future of fitness, and it was talking around fitness and tech. Mm-hmm. So that's something I'd love to hear from you about, Harry. So, you know, when it comes to tech innovation, obviously the last decade we've seen how that's impacted every industry, but specifically I think in fitness. You know, we went from. 10 years ago, I'm sure, you know, as a personal trainer, you probably weren't seeing many people wearing wearable tech. So like a chest heart rate monitor, maybe even a fitness watch, you know, things like I think when Strava came in, that was a big mm. industry disruptor of people saying, oh, actually, I want to track my my cycling or my running and share it on social media with others who are then going to give me this kind of virtual high five to say, awesome, you just did 10K, wicked. Let me see the time. Let me see compare. So that started. I think people then took to things like Facebook or Instagram, uh, you know, Twitter, even like run chat communities to kind of talk about what they were doing uh, yeah the wearable tech came in so people going okay Fitbit did a great job of getting that 10,000 steps message out there yeah. that didn't used to exist you know the whole five a day people knew about that but 10,000 steps that was kind of a metric really that was kind of made up I think it's actually 14,000 is what we need but that doesn't sound cool so 10,000 let's go for that <laughs> so they did a good job with their marketing campaign suddenly everyone knew 10,000 steps is what we need how do we track that we buy the the, the watch so yeah. you know we're wearing we're wearing fitness tech we're tracking things now we've got apps to tell us how many minutes we slept uh, you know our breath how many calories we ate we can take photos of it is this you know in your opinion, benefiting us as it's arming us with this information about ourselves, it's given us personalised data, or is it overwhelming us and actually the opposite of wellness where people are then stressed about, oh, how many calories and how much of it was protein and how many minutes of sleep? And is it, you know, problematic to kind of suddenly go so granular and so detailed for the everyday person who's not necessarily an elite athlete, do we need this granularity of data? What do you reckon? Um, it's a great question. We've both been over to probably the home of tech, right? We've been to San Francisco. We've seen the incredible developments that some of the largest brands in the world are doing over there. And it is all based around um, accountability, right? You can, we, we never would have known if we'd have done 10,000 steps. I would never would have had my fitness pal scanned a barcode and gone, I'm probably not going to eat that because it's 6,000 calories and 5,000 of those are made up of saturated fat and sugar. Okay, we, ha- we have more information at our fingertips. So being accountable is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, if it becomes something that takes over. I think it's a much bigger problem that my Apple Watch flicks through my um, my emails and my WhatsApps that keeps me constantly digitally connected. I think the best thing it does is track my calories and my heart rate. Mm. So I think that there are some negatives about having constant connectivity, but I don't think there's negatives about having a reminder of, of, of physical activity because we became very sedentary as, mm. a, as a population. And as a result of that, obesity, type 2 diabetes, uh, social isolation, depression, lack of participation in sport mm. and all of the bad things that comes along with that have, have struck down a generation of people and robbed them of their health. So yeah. if tech is a medium by which we will get some of that back, I think it's great. Mm. Um, about seven years ago, I founded my first health retreat and we ran it in Sicily in the lovely Vajura uh, property, which is part of the Roccaforte group. And having spent a lot of time on Harley Street, I partnered with some guys called Viavi, who are an amazing health concierge business, I suppose. It was founded by the old CEO at Nuffield Health, which was a bit more of a corporate business. Anyway, they do a lot of uh, physiological testing and then base their programming around your physiology. So I was training some of their clients who are 
sort of super high achieving people from all over the globe. Um, and heart rate variability, or the, the ability to be able to measure your heart rate variability for those guys who don't know, we were doing it seven years ago pre-health retreat. So we were looking at people's, it's essentially being able to monitor people's stress responses throughout the day, but also the quality of their sleep, the depth of their sleep, and the amount of recovery that they get through the night. So um, HRV now is, is tapped into loads of this tech and we don't really know about it, mm. right? And it measures lots of different things. And if you plot that alongside somebody's stress hormones, like their cortisol output, you can really get a comprehensive physiological map of what somebody looks like. So that data in the hands of somebody who knows what they're doing allows them to be extremely prescriptive in terms of calorie deficit or not calorie deficit we'll talk about that later because there's a lot of BS out there about mm -hmm. people should constantly live in a calorie deficit no you shouldn't um, we should be able to maintain homeostasis and stay happy because calorie deficit is only good if your only objective is fat burning mm. but if you're stressed or pregnant or would like to get pregnant or an athlete you shouldn't live in a calorie deficit anyway I digress we were looking at a large amount of data to be able to say, okay, well, you didn't you didn't sleep like properly last night. Why didn't you sleep? Oh, because you had too much caffeine too late, or you had too much alcohol before you went to sleep. Your cortisol output uh, is is not is not regulated in in the sense uh, is not regulated op in an optimal way for weight loss. Okay, before we try and starve you of calories, let's have a look at putting some mindfulness practice in place. Let's regulate your hormones and optimise your sleep and put your body in a position where it can use fat for energy. So that sounds quite overly complicated, but if you are able to use data and put that data into the hands of a really good coach who can draw on, on the wealth of experience and be really prescriptive in terms of what's going to get you better... I think it can be amazing. Mm, yeah, I know. I agree. And I think it can arm us with the knowledge, you know, and like I said, it's personalised, it's prescriptive. We know we're not one size fits all as human beings. We mm. are all different. So as you said, looking at a calorie deficit or looking at a specific kind of diet or a specific training plan is never going to be the same. It's not going to have the same impact on my body as it is on no. yours, as it no. is on somebody else's. So I think having that personalisation is just a game changer. I think the the opposing argument that I hear often, because I'm, you know, I'm pro tech, I, you know, work for one of the, the leading fitness app you know in the country I, I work with tech and I think it's great but the, the opposing argument that I often hear is we're no longer listening to our own bodies and looking and going okay did I sleep well or did this make me feel bloated or does this make me feel stressed or how do I feel and listen to like an intuitive way and just saying read the app the app said this or have this many calories and do this many steps and it's kind of saying do you know what I mean I'm like I think the, especially from like the more yoga Pilates no not Pilates sure. but the more yoga community kind of say to me but we should know when we need to sleep sure, we should know when we need those, to those are also people who are happy to do 90 minutes of yoga every single day and are really in tune with their bodies there's probably a strong mindfulness practice that supports that they're very uh, self-aware from a physiological perspective intuitive people shouldn't be left to their own intuitions because if they were your general population of people we're just, okay, you go and eat and drink and move as much as you want. Most people wouldn't move because mm. it's uncomfortable for them. Most people would booze too much. Most people would stay up too late. In fact, most people do. Yep. So over the reason why this tech is in place in the first place is it's solving a need. Businesses are smart. 
and anyone who founds a business that's not solving somebody's need will not so will not found a successful business so the biggest tech companies in the world looked around at what are the problems that people are incurring. The problems are that nobody even knows what a calorie is. A calorie means nothing, right? It's how you hit, a calorie is uh, the amount of energy required to heat one litre of water by one degree Celsius, right? That's the definition of a calorie. It didn't really mean anything. Mm. So if I said, so that, that, that's a, such an arbitrary number and yeah. a really weird way of defining it. So if I said to my wife, you should only eat 1,500 calories a day, no one really knows what it is. So if you have a, an app, and MyFitnessPal is probably the most famous one, if you have an app that allows you to track that by scanning a barcode and it keeps you accountable, then that's fine. Mm. If you feel incredibly guilty every time you eat a chocolate bar, don't track it. Um, not, yeah, it's a different. It's a different. It, it's a different. It's a different mindset. The the one I the one I do think is a little. I, I'm fifty fifty on is the tracking of your sleep. Now, lots apparently of people, the data is just not. It's not. We're not up to the science. Isn't apparently accurate enough to support the claims with which we're telling people. So I think need, that's the danger. You need zone. to sleep with a chest strap, and you need to be measuring your heart rate variability to really get it deep. You can't do it purely on movement alone. Um, now, if. <laughs> I always I, I tell people if you're tracking your sleep, do you have the ability to do anything about the results? If you're, could you go for half an hour nap in the middle of the day? So oh, I could never do that. Then every time you wake up, you feel quite good until you look at your sleep monitor, whichever app or piece of tech you're losing, which has now told you you haven't had enough REM sleep or you haven't had enough deep sleep, and then you feel bad about it all day. Do you go to bed an hour earlier the night the next night? Most people don't. Mm. Do you take a 90 uh, You have a nap for a full sleep cycle around 90 minutes or a 25-minute nap? Most people don't. Mm. Do you take some time to do a, a deep meditation for 20 minutes to try and steal back some of that physiological recovery? Most people don't. So, so it's just impacting them in a negative way because yeah, their mindset then says, I haven't slept, I feel tired, maybe I need another coffee, and it's just stressing sure. them out. If, if that data then drives behavioural change... I'm all for it. Mm. If 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 it drives a negative mindset or if it if it makes you feel bad, why are you tracking it? That 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 would be my point. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I think uh, I There's think a place for it. Yeah, I think tech has broadly enhanced our lives uh, in many different ways. It's a great way to be alive. And if you listen to some people, they'd have you believe it's the worst time ever to be alive. Mm -hmm. It's a great time it's to be alive. Time. It's an amazing time to be alive. We have, we have more opportunity for, for, for wealth, for growth, for health, for travel, for starting new businesses, for inclusivity. Um, online bullying is, 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 is a terrible thing, but there's so much more inclusivity than there was when I was a child. Agreed. And also bullying in, in not online, but in real life. In real it existed. Life. It, human behaviour hasn't existed changed. existed a lot more. And I think lots of that has actually probably decreased because everybody is a bit more conscious. And accountable know? as well. Much more conscious, much more accountable. No, I think young children now, under the age of six, seven, eight, nine, ten, mm. they don't know... They don't know racism or sexism or homophobia they just they, they, not in the way that not in the way that, not in the way that our generations yeah. did both yeah. of us both of us are mixed race and both of us oh, I grew up anyway in a predominantly white area and, and racism was 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 rife and I was quite lucky that on a, on a few occasions people would have said stuff to me but generally I was 
sort of fit and healthy and happy and um, physically able to look after myself and I didn't get bullied but um, I, I just think that that's not as much of a thing anywhere near mm. generations gone mm. by. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Well, we're going to get on to talk about kids later on, but... Yeah. I'd love to kind of take it back. So, you know, we're talking about health, we're talking about fitness. There's all these different things, as you've discussed, lifestyle, sleep, nutrition. And there's a lot of information out there. Sometimes people think, actually, you know what? This is all great. Where do I start? What are the small wins? You know, I'm busy, Harry. I've got kids. I've got a job. I've got this to do. I've got that to do. You know, I'm supposed to train hard. I'm supposed to do resistance. Actually, I'm supposed to do yoga. I'm supposed to meditate. I'm not supposed to eat gluten. Maybe I'm supposed to be vegan. <laughs> wow. What, what's going on? So... Could you tell us actionable stuff for a listener of this show, three things that you believe they could do today that would have the biggest impact on our physical and mental health? I think the number one biggest, most actionable and achievable thing to do is to instill some sort of daily mindfulness practice. It's something that I haven't done up until about probably just before my son was born. Um, but to to especially we, we talked about tech a lot, right? And we've talked about the, the stresses and, and pitfalls of modern life. Switching off, breathing properly, and, and meditating for a period. It can be ten minutes. It can be an hour. Realistically, I'm. I would imagine most people can find fifteen minutes at either end of their day. For me, from a personal perspective, it had a massive impact on my ability. To, to cope with stress, um, do a lot of talk with, with, with clients and corporates and keynotes around coping mechanisms for stress. I never believe in removing those stresses from your life. I believe, believe in becoming more robust and deal with, uh, developing coping mechanisms to deal with stress mm. because stress isn't going anywhere. And mm. if you want to perform at a high level, you're going to be under stress. So for the management of stress, the management of your cognitive ability and your mental well-being, meditation would be the number one thing. My two favourite apps are probably Headspace and Calm. Mm -hmm. um, I've sort of flipped between the two. I was lucky to meet Rich Pearson, who was the co-founder of Headspace and has become a bit of a business mentor for, for me and one of my business partners and one of the businesses we work for. So incredibly lucky to have somebody of that stature. And he recognised very quickly that to, to commoditise meditation in a 15-minute bite-sized pieces was just genius. It's, a, it's an amazing business. Mm. It's an amazing business, but it, it delivers an amazing product. Mm. Well, as you and said, it's answering a problem. It's, it's solved a problem. Yeah. Most people's problem is, I don't have enough time and I'm stressed and I'm tired. Okay, meditate for 15 minutes. I promise you, it's such a subjective thing because you can't measure it, its, its impact on you other than how you feel inside. I defy anybody who is stressed and tired to meditate for two weeks, 15 minutes a day and not feel an incredible difference at the end of those two weeks. So that's my number one. Awesome. So number one is a mindful practice, i.e. a meditation, yes. use an app, even if it's 15 minutes every yes. single day. Okay, number two. Number two 
our friend Justin Thompson Rule, who we both know and I, and I have got a lot of time for, is one of the best coaches in our space, talks about non-negotiables. Um, and I am a strong believer in, in, in making certain parts of your routine non-negotiable. For me, it's cardio. Um, I have to do my cardio. Every day? I do it. I do do it every day. Actually, yep. I, I have a rest day. I yep. Also, maybe the third, well, one of the things I do is I implement a 100% rest day one day a week, which I never used to do. Okay. But that's probably not applicable for most people because most people are struggling to fit sessions in, whereas I was struggling not to train twice a day. But I, I think the cardio, and actually the cardio... I, that I do I'm training for for a half marathon at the moment so a lot of it's quite top end and I'm feeling quite uh, fatigued afterwards but most cardio when I'm not training for something specific is for my mind more than my body okay. it's 45 minutes of sub-maximal cardio going out for a run sitting on a bike um, whatever it is why is that your non-negotiable? because it has the biggest impact it keeps my and it burns some fat and it makes me cognitively feel great I release endorphins. It's just a double. It's a double winner. Yeah. I just forty-five. I just got into a routine of doing forty-five minutes of fasted cardio first thing in the morning on an empty stomach, having a sauna for fifteen minutes, and then that hour was like, wow, I felt great. Um, very relevant for the Power Hour show. That yes. was a, it. Was an amazing. Uh, it wasn't a revelation, but I actually stopped doing it and started when I when I had a couple of business things that took me away, and I instantly felt that that mm. impact on me so make whatever your non-negotiable is and it doesn't have to be every day because it's non-realistic for lots of people but I would say four times a week as a minimum mm -hmm. as well as your meditative practice have something um, and it could be half an hour and for me it's cardio yeah lots of people especially lots of guys out there skip their cardio they think don't skip your cardio okay great okay guys listening cardio so have your one uh, mindful practice every day mm -hmm. and also have a non-negotiable physical practice. Great. What's number three? Number three, it slightly goes against a, a sort of a traditional fitness coach, if you want. And then number three is to make sure that at least once a week you're doing something that you love with someone that you love. Now, if you love drinking red wine with your best friend, don't deny yourself that because part of that is human connectivity which we lose a lot and when you're on a fitness journey or a weight loss journey or a personal development journey you can do that at the exclusion of lots of the other things um, and we must make time in our in our calendar to do things we love with people that we love playing musical instruments walking in gardens going to art galleries playing football with your kid mm. that gets missed out a lot and I believe I believe that recovery is is multifaceted and that there's mental there's, there's physical there's emotional and there's spiritual recovery and lots of times we don't do enough things that are good for our soul and that's not necessarily from a religious perspective I just think you're down in the dumps, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're in a calorie deficit, your muscles are sore, you're like, oh. No caffeine, no, no gluten, yeah. everything's got to be productive. Everything's no yeah. caffeine, no gluten, I love a beer and I can't have one, I love going to the football, but the coronavirus has knocked that out <laughs> and I can't even go to the match anymore. But you can always make an hour of your week to spend with someone who you love and they need it too.
I love that, Harry. And mine is ringing people on the phone. I go. love to talk to people on there the phone. And I don't know many people that still, I mean, my <laughs> friends still do because I call them. Yeah. But I ring people when I'm either, you know, I'm walking somewhere or I might be driving and I have a good, like, 45 minute catch up. Yeah. And it, honestly, it's, it's one of the highlights of my day. My wife leaves me 45 minute voice notes, <laughs> which I hate. <laughs> Long voice notes is, is my bugbear of the. 2020. Me and my sister do them, but uh, we love it. It's like a it's like a podcast between the two of us. I love it. I, I don't. I love it. Okay, so that was brilliant. I really, really, really like that answer. Okay, so we're going to talk about the kids. Mm-hmm. You are a parent now. I am. I am a parent also. My son's a lot older than yours. Your son is adorable. Thank Your stories you. posting of him is adorable. So the thing I want to talk to you about kids is, you know, I think for all parents, they are trying their best. I think regardless mm. of their, you know, social economic background, regardless of their access. I believe that all parents believe they are doing their best and they want their kids to be healthy. They want their kids to be happy Mm -hmm. and they want to set them up for success. And by success, I don't mean, you know, success in unquote. I mean, a healthy, happy life. So I guess similar to what we said with us, there's a lot of information out there. What do you think that parents need to be the most mindful of right now with the changes, with tech, with the even I think, to be honest as well, the information around diet, I think when I speak to parents, my son's eight years old, it's confusing. They're kind of like, you know, we've been told to give them even just the basic stuff like dairy for mm-hmm. calcium or like five a day or, you know, which meat should they have? Should they be plant-based? Should we be supplementing, giving our kids, you know, omega capsules, vitamin D? It's like all of these things. I think, you know, where should we start in terms of stripping it back to basics with our kids to help them live a healthy, happy life? So I was... This is, it's funny, I was born in the early 80s and lots of things were acceptable then that are completely unacceptable now. My primary school I went to in Hackney, the roof was made of asbestos and, they were, and then halfway through my, my whatever term as a four-year-old, they were like, oh my God, asbestos is actually not a good thing to make schools out of. We should probably get these kids out of here and we should probably knock it down. Smacking your children was completely the norm and never frowned upon in public. Um, we obviously smoking in a, in a car with your baby in the back, right? These were things that were were, were acceptable then, um, and are completely unacceptable now. Why are they unacceptable? Because we're more educated and we've seen the consequences of what happens if you do them. And maybe in the future, now we will see. I believe we will see the consequences of what happens when you put too much pressure on a child too young. Um, I was never placed under academic pressure as a, as a child. Um, I never felt like I was, like I I probably should have worked a bit harder. I was naturally quite clever and I kind of cruised my way through until I got to uni and even post uni and then I knuckled down and then I discovered what my passion was and then I applied pressure to myself to become successful. There is a seven plus now and a kid can fail that and he can feel like his friends who are clever and smart get to go to the good school where the good kids get to go but you can't go because you're not clever enough for me that's an awful thing for an eight-year-old seven-year-old child to have to experience and I would hate for my son to ever feel like at that age I was really dyslexic as a a small child and I would never have passed that I wouldn't have passed the 11 plus and then I came on and became a journalist and a business consultant and I've achieved some 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 pretty great things that I'm pretty proud of and I know my mum's proud of, but had that pressure been applied to me then, mm. I may have never had the confidence to go on and try to do the things later on in life. Yeah, you should knuckle down and revise for your GCSEs and make sure you don't fail because that sets you on the right path. 
but putting too much pressure too young I think is a dangerous game well it shapes the, the mindset as well so if you're you know hearing this information when you're young as you just mm. described around okay you're smart and, and you're not mm. or we all have it to a degree I think even sure. looking back at school myself you know you get the label of sporty or you get mm. the label of oh this person's good at music or mm. you kind of you hear that and you take a label which often can be given to you at one stage in your life mm. and subconsciously you can carry that for the rest of your life and it can inform your choices it can inhibit you it could boost your confidence you know I've heard I heard a, a story of a guy who got the wrong test results um in a way that he basically got this amazingly high score. It wasn't his score. We got this amazingly high score. Went home. His mum said, did you cheat on the test? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? He said, no, mum, I didn't. I didn't. I got the score. Suddenly, his his attitude towards learning changed because he yeah. went, you know what? I, I got this score. Maybe, you know, I, I'm, I'm smarter than I thought. I'm going to really start to apply myself in school. The teachers started to treat him differently because they went, oh, you know what? Maybe we underestimated this kid. We didn't think he had it in him. He got this great score. We're going to actually, you know, level up the workload. His mum, people started to treat him differently because he started to, say, for example, I don't know, he got a 140 out of 170, whatever it is mm-hmm. in America. He said, what changed? I didn't actually get that score. I didn't find out for like three years later but what happened was my mindset shifted to the person who got a 140 so I then acted as a person who got a 140 Mm -hmm. people treated me as a person who got a 140 no one knew that actually it wasn't me and it wasn't you know he didn't cheat it wasn't his fault but later on when he found out he said that changed my whole life it changed my academic success it changed my confidence it changed my life because my mindset shifted he didn't actually get it. And I, I've thought about that for such a long time because I think as, you know, my son is eight and a half and, you know, you're totally right with the pressure thing. Like it's a pressure cooker I, I see anyway, you know, across the schools and across other parents and almost like some parents I think almost become their children's achievements are their achievements, Yeah, you know? You see that in, in sports, the dad vicariously living through his son, right? Shouting at their son, shouting at their kids, pass it, do that, tackle, run back. Um, I'm, I'm shaking my head because I hope I don't turn into that dad. <laughs> I, I can see myself turning into that dad. But I'm, I said to my wife, we, we must spend the first part of his life finding his interests and his passions and must spend the second part of his life really helping him deliver and drive through on those passions, whether they happen to be art, music, creative, algebra, football, whatever it is. Because mm. it be, can change you, too, It right? will totally change. It can totally change. Um, but I think that the best thing you, you can do is, is try to sort of instill values and behaviours. My mother is um, an amazing woman and she's actually a vegetarian, so I was a veggie until I was about 10 and then she famously says, I went to one of my friend's house, had a bacon sandwich and never looked back and ate meat every day since. But because of I, I ate a lot of vegetables and, and fruits as a child, I love those foods now. I gravitate towards those foods. I'm, not, I'm the least fussy eater in the world. My wife, my son eats now essentially what our dinner is. He had a bit of curry the other day. He, he loves everything. He loves how, food. How old is he? 18 months cute um, so he has a bit of spice he has a bit of dairy he has a mixture and, and we play around there's a big high green vegetable content he snacks on um, snacks on fruit I don't give him any refined sugar that's the one thing I'm not going to give him um, I'm not going to he's not going to go to a party when he's six and not be allowed to have a sweet I don't believe that but I think um, amazingly healthy food can be delicious and I think that that's a, an important thing my mother taught me and to also my wife said 
we must teach all we can do is teach them to be clever and kind and i thought if you can instill those two values in your children she's she's canadian so she said smart actually said we've got to teach them to be smart and to be kind Mm. and those are the two most incredible values i think you can have as a person and smart doesn't mean book smarts emotional intelligence it can mean social intelligence i'm going to teach teach him and teach him anything to look someone in the eye and shake their hand properly and and, and conduct yourself well and be a, rep, a good representative of of yourself brilliant well i'm sure if he follows in your footsteps harry then he's on the right path thank you All right, so I want to talk to you about the Power Hour. This is the podcast and people who listen to this show will already know all about my Power Hour. They know I'm an early bird. They know I get up and I have, you know, I I believe really that the first hour of the day is really important for setting up how you want to, you know, live the rest of your day, the energy you want to put into the world, but also about reclaiming some of your time. You know, as you said, people say, I'm busy, I'm tired, I'm stressed. They're like, oh, at the end of the day... When are you going to give yourself, you know, time to do anything? So prioritise it by doing it first. So, Harry, I'd love to know, you know, lots of high performers that you work with, I'm sure, have attributed some of their success to morning routines. We all know about the 5am club, Miracle Morning. So do you have a power hour? What time do you get up and what's the first hour of your day like? I do have a power hour. Um my wake up time again. We just we've just been chatting about our kids. My wake up time is considerably earlier than it was. I I hate mornings. I have done most of my life, I, but I've always had to get up early. Been a PT. You've got to be in the gym by seven. You're training people before work, so I've always got up at six a.m. and hated it until I had a kid, and now I love it Aww. because I get that hour with him. Um, was sponsored by Under Armour for a couple of years, and we went over to. Portland in Oregon where they have a performance centre and there's an amazing sports scientist over there called Paul Winsper um, and he's worked with everybody, right, their main athlete, they've, they've got Tom Brady, they've got Anthony Joshua uh, Steph Curry um, Lindsay Vaughan, the skier um, Michael Phelps right, top, top, top athletes not just top athletes but top athletes who've been there for decades, right um, and he was saying the importance of, of a morning routine and his main thing is grounding so when you step out of the bed put your feet on the ground and this is not coming from a from some yogi in in bali this is coming from the for me one of the best sports scientists in the world and the best performance coaches roll over on your bed put your feet out and put your hands on the floor and ground yourself to the floor physically imagine yourself being grounded into the floor and practice spoken gratitude. Say three things you... I, I say three, two things I'm grateful for and one thing I want to get that day. I remember when, we came, when I came back from America, my wife thought I'd gone mad. I was sort of sitting <laughs> on the edge of the bed, like going, thank you for my... Whatever it was, thank you for my son. Thank you for my... Uh, thank you for my business. And today I'm going to um, achieve what I want in this uh, business meeting. I, I would say it out loud and she's a bit like, shut up, go back to sleep. Um... So I, my, my, the beginning of my power hour is grounding, um, putting my feet on the ground and, and spoken gratitude. Um, but p- the end of the spoken gratitude is actually something that I'm almost asking the universe for. I'm not sort of a particularly religious man, but I'm definitely kind of, I guess, more spiritual. And I think if you say things and you put them out there and you write them down and you tell people about them, mm. they, they, they come true. My wife's well, a big manifest, is big into manifestation and... 
when something good will happen at work or we bought the house or something happens, I come home and I tell her about it. She's like, yeah, I manifested that. So a combination of me doing it and her manifesting, it mm. seems to work quite well. But I've found that grounding myself and speaking has been a great uh, start mm. to my power hour. I love that. I love that. And it's interesting that you said then the caveat of, oh, I'm not a religious man, but mm. I'm spiritual. Because essentially, regardless, I think the, the principle is the same. You know, words have power. And it says in the Bible that ask and you shall receive. Mm. It doesn't say think and you shall receive. Yes. It doesn't say wonder and you or wish and you shall mm. receive. It says ask and you shall receive. So I definitely believe in, you know, vocal mm. affirmations about speaking words to power and that words are both positive and negative and sure. also neutral. So, yeah, I, I can really imagine how powerful that would be to have that intention of physically sitting up you know putting your feet on the ground mm. vocalizing out loud as you said doesn't matter if your partner's there maybe yeah. you know just explain to them this is you know what yeah. i'm doing i don't i don't shout it i kind of whisper it now but i am um, my son wakes up like clockwork at 5 30 in the morning so i'll go in and my wife gets an extra hour in bed in the morning well deserved and i do a bottle with him but i also don't look at my phone for the first half an hour because um, my phone takes up the rest of my day. Yep. So I actually don't... I've got a 6am alarm set, but I'm always up before that. Sure. So it's quite a soft alarm. Um, so I wake up, I ground my feet, I say my spoken gratitude, I go and pick him up out of the cot. He's the happiest in the morning to see me, change his nappy and have his little bottle on the bed, uh, have his little bottle on the sofa. Um, and I just spend that like, half an hour with him and we whatever we do play around and, and I think that that is, a, is the best start to my day mm. um, and then I will at about 7 o'clock when I leave the house generally sometimes slightly before wake my wife up give her a coffee and then I go and that's when I think my sort of working day starts if I have an early client I will go in and do that client and then I will do my personal training client although I don't have that many anymore um, Otherwise, I will go back into what we were talking about into my top three tips and I will do my fasted cardio, have a little stretch, always have a sauna every day um, and then I'm, I'm ready. Awesome. Ready to attack the day. Awesome. Sounds great. Sounds like a very wonderful power hour, especially the, the time that you have with your son. It's so precious and it goes so quickly. Yes. So, you know, I still have my mornings with my son, but it's not quite the same. It's, it's different. You know, you're yeah. getting ready for school, swimming bag, Lego, spellings. It, it definitely changes. All right, Harry. So before I ask you my closing question, tell everyone where they can find you online, on Instagram. How can people get in touch? So yeah, my shameless plug part says at Harry Jameson PT uh, on Instagram um, and harryjameson.com. Um, and you'll be able to see uh, a lot more about sort of my life on Instagram and, and some business stuff. But the website is really focused on the consultancy work that I do. So it's helping individuals and brands use health and well-being to enhance their offering. So we've got a strong focus in the hospitality space where we look at um, existing offerings in, in, in hotel groups um, and other hospitality businesses and how to create sort of a really verified ecosystem within that business that uses wellness to drive revenue back into the business, but also for a PR and marketing tool and also to speak to new uh, interesting markets they might not have spoke to before. So that's either building health retreat concepts, designing gyms, um, designing menus. We've done that for, for lots and lots of interesting clients. 
Um, and then I do some brand work, a little bit similar to, to you. And then I, I've got a very small core of my of my top high performing clients who I look after. But I'm, I'm not really taking on any more any more PT clients or any more sort of coaching clients at the moment. So he's booked and busy people. Booked and booked busy. And busy. All right. So my closing question for every guest is all around time because I'm a little bit obsessed with you know really making every hour, every minute, making it count. Mm-hmm. I think it's the most valuable thing that we can give to another person. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. It was a pleasure. So. If you had one extra hour every single day, from now on you've got 25 hours a day, Harry, what are you going to use the extra hour for? That is a great question. Um, I think, and this will sound slightly soppy, but I think that a lot has been said sort of recently around being kind. um, And I have, I work extremely hard, but I have a comfortable life and I own my house and I have a great wife and an amazing son and lots of good friends so I think I would spend that hour trying to mentor people or help people who didn't have those things I think we could give back a little bit more I don't mean financially I think the be- I think what you said is true the most expensive thing we can give to someone is our time and um, in a world where we where has, has been spoken about a lot recently when you can be anything be kind I think I would try to uh, I would try to spend that hour a day helping people less fortunate than myself absolutely wonderful you're the first guest to say that they would give that hour away to someone else so oh, that well, is absolutely amazing there you go. thank you so much Harry right. for being a guest and thank you as usual for listening to the show for tuning into the Power Hour I heard a crazy statistic this week around the hundreds of thousands of podcasts that are now available online so I really am grateful that you've chosen to give the Power Hour your ear today thanks so much for listening to the show as always you can rate and review us over on iTunes if you haven't already done that and you haven't already subscribed please do it this week it really helps us to book new guests and to keep the show fresh and bring you brand new episodes every single week have an awesome week see ya bye harry bye thanks for having me ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi Mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started 